Everyone, we're going to uh, read the Bible together now. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Philippians, we'll be reading the first 11 verses of chapter 1. It's on page 830 of the Church Bibles. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Nice to see you this evening. If you haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. Um, I speak tonight not just as a pastor, but as somebody who is uh, committed to mission. I guess mission has always been on my heart since I was converted uh, 20 years ago. I went on my first mission about six months after I was converted. It was a a beach mission type thing to young people. Uh, About 12 months later, I went to South Africa to work with Scripture Union in Cape Town. Uh, I've worked with OMF in an orphanage in Thailand. Uh, I've been to teach the Bible in India and in Ethiopia and in China. Um, I'm just committed to taking the Word of God into different parts of the world because people need to hear about Jesus. So tonight we're going to unpack a phrase. It's a phrase that comes from uh, Philippians chapter 1. Here's a phrase. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. What I think about tonight is what that word or that phrase, a partnership in the gospel, really means. We have mission partners. We partner with CMS. We partner with Anglicare. What does it mean for you and I to be partners in the gospel? How do you use that word partners in everyday life? How does the world use the word partners? You have Marriage partners, I hate the word marriage partner, but it basically means that you're you're committed to each other and you're going to work together. Uh, You have business partners, it means again you've got a common cause, a common purpose, a common goal, and you're going to work together as a team. Uh, You have sporting partners, you know, your tennis partner, your squash partner, your your ballet partner, you're working together. And you're committed to this common purpose, this common goal, and you're going to work together to achieve it. You have law partners. You're a partner in a law firm 
You make sacrifices, you give some money, you, you work hard for that firm, and you're, you're committed to that common purpose, that common vision of that firm. That's really how the Bible uses the word partner. It's actually a commercial word. Uh, you know, when two fishermen in the first century formed a fishing business, they'd form a partnership. They'd put in money, they'd work together, they'd have a common vision, a common purpose, a common goal, if you want. So what is our partnership in as Christians? Uh, we're not business partners, we're not marriage partners. What's our partnership in? It's just there, the partners in the gospel. In the good news of Christ crucified, we are partners in the news that Jesus stepped into our world and left the glories of heaven. He lived, he died, he was raised. We're partners in that good news that through Christ we have forgiveness of sins. We're partners in that good news that through Christ we have eternal life. And we're partners in that good news that that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. You know, if that truth of the gospel has taken hold of your heart, then you will be partners in that gospel with every other Christian. <laughs> Let's see how it works in Philippians. Paul describes himself in Philippians 1, verse 1, as a, as a servant of Christ Jesus, a slave of Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. His whole life is about serving his Savior. He's writing to these Philippian Christians. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus the holy ones in Christ who are being forgiven and redeemed. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus, writing to saints in Jesus, and Jesus is our common bond, if you want. He's the person who unites us. We're, we're one in Christ. We're partners in Christ. We have this one purpose of making Christ known, this, this one vision of preaching Christ to the world. And that's the kind of partnership you see in, here, here in Philippians. Just so you know, uh, Paul founded this church in Philippi in about AD 51, he preached the gospel there. A lady called Lydia was converted, and a jailer was converted, and he left behind a church. But the thing that's striking about Philippians is that from the moment they heard the gospel, from the moment that Jesus entered their life, entered their hearts, their lives were never the same again. They couldn't just live Monday to Saturday as before. They, their whole purpose and focus and identity and vision had changed. And so this church rolled up their sleeves and worked hard for Jesus. As you read Philippians, they prayed, they sent money, they sent people, they witnessed, and they just worked hard for the gospel. Let me show you. Philippians 1 verse 19, Paul says, I know that through your prayers. It's not just that Paul the Apostle prays for the church, but the church at Philippi are praying for Paul the Apostle. They're partners in prayer. 1 verse 27, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. They are preaching Christ and contending for the truth of the gospel in Philippi as Paul's in a prison in Rome doing exactly the same thing. 1 verse 30, you're going through the same struggles you saw I had and now hear that I have. They suffer for Christ just as Paul suffers for Christ. They're partners in suffering for the gospel. It continues, 2 verse 25, I love this verse. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. I find that striking because the church at Philippi didn't just send money. They sent people. They sent somebody to Rome where Paul was in prison 
to encourage him in his faith, to work alongside him, and now he's sending them back to Philippi. That partnership in people. 4 verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Have they done that? 4 verse 16. When I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. They sent money. They sent people. They suffered together. They prayed together. They contended for the gospel together. That is partnership. Working together, common vision, common goal, sacrifice, but one purpose to preach Christ. Now the question is, why would the Philippian church do that? Why would the Christians in Philippi send people and send money? Why would they suffer for the gospel? Why? Because they were truly convinced that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. And they themselves had enjoyed what Paul describes in verse 2 as the grace and peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And they in Philippi, in the church, enjoyed that grace and peace that comes through Christ, but they were aware there were thousands of other people in the world who are yet to experience the grace and peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And as we sit here tonight in this church, many of us have experienced the grace and peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. But you know, there are four billion people out there today in the world. Four billion people who are yet to experience the grace and peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And if you're utterly convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way, the, the way, the truth, and the life, if, you, if you've been overwhelmed by the compassion of God and the mercy of God he's shown to you in Christ, and if you love Jesus and you love people, then you'll be committed to mission and to be partners in mission work. Not necessarily overseas, but in your workplace, in your family, in the local area, wherever God places you, you'll want people to know about Jesus. See, if Jesus for you is just a hobby, then partnership for you will just be a chore or a duty or something that you have to do as a Christian. But if Jesus Christ is your all, as we've just sang, and you've surrendered everything to him, then we will be partners in the gospel because we'll love Jesus so passionately and so intimately. So what will partnership look like? got four words for you tonight. Here's the first one. Thankfulness. The first mark of genuine partnership is thankfulness. What does Paul do in verse 3? He says, I thank my God, my God. I thank my personal God every time I remember you. Every time Paul sat down to, to pray and as he thought about the Philippian church, his habit, his natural disposition was thankfulness. He doesn't thank them for sending money. He doesn't thank them for sending Epaphroditus. Who does he thank? Verse 3, I thank my God. He thanks his heavenly Father for the work that God has done in their life. And that's why he prays to them with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he, God, who began the good work in them, would carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. I love how, how theocentric Paul is. His whole life is about God. He knows how faithful God is to his promises. So God has chosen the Philippians. Uh, God is keeping the Philippians. God will, will keep them for glory. And Paul is so convinced the Philippians will persevere because God is preserving them. And when you start to see uh, Christians, your, your fellow members of this church, 
and your mission partners across the world as people whom God has done a good work in, people whom God has chosen, God has saved, God has kept them, is maturing them, and God is using them, and you see them from God's perspective, then you stop grumbling about people and criticizing people, and your heart is full of thankfulness for them. Just try it. Go home tonight, and instead of grumbling about the people at church, think, wow, God has saved them, and God is at work in them, and God has chosen them, and God is keeping them, and God will keep them for glory, and your hearts will be different. That's the first word, thankfulness. The second word is love. Because if we're going to be partners in the gospel, we've got to love each other and love our mission partners. Uh, Paul and the Philippians really do love each other. Look at verse 7. You get a glimpse into the, the emotional Paul, the apostle Paul. Verse 7. He said, it's right for me to feel this way. Literally, the word is think. It's, it's a cognitive word. It's right for me to think this way about all of you since I have you in my, in my heart. The head and the heart together. I think this way about you because I have you in my heart. And, and whether I'm in chains here in Rome or, or out on the street defending and confirming the gospel, you all share in God's grace. And God can testify how I long, I, I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I long to see you. I long to be with you because I love you. And this is no superficial uh, professional relationship. It's a genuine, heartfelt love relationship. And of course, Paul founded the church, and Paul has visited the church. Paul knows them. They've got an existing relationship. But Paul hadn't done that to all his letters. I mean, Colossians, he'd never been there, but he still loves them. And again, it, it starts here in the church. We are mission partners with each other. And so we've got to love each other and know each other and, and feel each other's burdens and rejoice with when the other person rejoices and mourn when they mourn. I met someone recently who told me that their, their friendship list was full. Their friendship list was full. And I think we've got a wrong expectation of relationships. You don't have to have dinner with somebody once a month or coffee with somebody once a week to have a real relationship with them. You can love somebody by sending an email saying, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you, I love you, I'd love to see you, but we're both working hard for the gospel. And you can do that with your mission partners. We don't know them that well, but you can encourage them, you can build a relationship and you can love them because you're co-workers in the gospel. I was at a funeral on Thursday this week a man who died in his mid-70s, early 70s, a good, faithful man. Uh, four tributes. Uh, there was fascinating insights into the life of this man. I learned about his work life, a great lawyer of great integrity. I learned about his family life and his church life. But the thing that struck me the most was when a friend of his stood up, they'd been friends for 45 years, and he said something like this. He said, David loved Jesus. And I know he loved me, and I loved him so much, and I'll miss him so much. And he just got this picture of these two men who loved each other. And they, they both loved Jesus, working hard for Jesus together. And that's what it means to be partners in the gospel, to know each other, to love each other, within Kirby and, and beyond. A third word for you tonight is this, Generosity. The Philippines modeled, I think, gospel partnership in generosity. 
they made sacrifices. Oh, Paul made sacrifices as well. He, he visited them twice. He made sacrifices for them, but they reciprocated that generosity. Uh, they sent Epaphroditus. They sent money again and again and again. Now, what, what prompts somebody to give their, their time and their people and their money? Why? It's their love for Jesus. But more than that, they're not clinging onto their stuff for themselves. And they're not just focused on empire building in Philippi. They are concerned about God's kingdom beyond Philippi and into the world. And so they send money and they send people and they use their gifts to serve the Lord. And that's true partnership. I don't know how many people here have heard of a guy called Humphrey Monmouth. Put your hand up. I hadn't heard about him until last month, last week in fact, no, two weeks ago. Uh, put your hand up if uh, you've heard of a guy called uh, Tyndale. Tyndale was a guy who translated the Bible into English. Now, how did Tyndale do that? Because a guy called Humphrey Monmouth, who was a, a brother in Christ, he made sacrifices and he had Tyndale to live with him and board with him and he fed him and he paid for him to translate the Bible and paid for it to be printed into English. And standing behind the man Tyndale was a Christian brother who was generous and was committed to the gospel going out, and so he made sacrifices. We don't know about Humphrey Monmouth, we know about William Tyndale, but behind every great missionary, every great preacher, every great proclaimer of Christ, there are people who are generous. They're supporting with their money and their gifts and their time and sending support. The same with Wesley and Whitfield. All their ministry was supported by basically one woman, uh, Selina Cantus of Huntingdon who made sacrifices so that she could support gospel ministry. See, being a mission partner is not about having your face or your name in a mission brochure or a mission booklet. It's about thinking how you can use what God has given you, your time, your gifts, your money, yourself, to support other people doing mission work. That is true partnership, making sacrifices so that the gospel can go out. And I have to say we are very rich here in Kirbilly, and we're very rich here in Sydney. Not, not just materially, we're very materially rich, but we're also rich with our resources and our gifts. And we are rich in time. And please don't tell me you're time poor. We have more mod cons today than any other generation. <laughs> it's just that we choose how to use our time. We make choices every day how we use our time. We're rich. Uh, my challenge for you is if you love Jesus, you will make choices and decisions with your time and your gifts and your money that you will show you're committed to being partners in that gospel. Uh, John Piper said this, I don't have a single church that has fallen into financial problems because of excessive missional giving. If we're committed to giving to mission work, it will show our hearts in the right place. Thirdly, and sorry, fourthly and finally, prayerfulness. This is really the front line of genuine partnership. I've deliberately put it last because we need to pray. I think we've got it all wrong. We think because we're given to a mission partner, because we're giving them dollars, then we'll automatically pray for them. Giving is the easy bit. So easy just to press a button on a computer and send some money out of your bank account. But I challenge you, I challenge anyone here to pray, to pray regularly for your mission partners, to pray without ceasing, to pray for their lives and their ministry, 
and then not to give and to give generously to the work they're doing. Uh, Paul prayed for them. Uh, what did he pray down in verse 9? I'm sure Paul prayed for their health and their homes and their families and their work. I'm sure he prayed for all those things. But what does he want us to know that he prayed for? This is my prayer, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more. Love for whom? Is it God? Is it other people? It's got to be both, hasn't it? You can't grow in your love for God without it impacting your love for other people. As your love for God grows, your love for others will grow. And so he prays that their love would grow more and more in knowledge, their knowledge about God, his character, what he likes and doesn't like, and, not, and depth of insight, that is discernment about what is right and what is wrong. So that you may, may be able to discern what is best, make good choices, make godly decisions, and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And bear fruit, now in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness, of joy, of peace, of kindness, of gentleness, that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's amazing prayer. I've got, I've got no time to unpack it. But it starts again here at church with what you pray for each other here at church. I guess I'm making a big assumption that we do pray for each other. I hope we do. But what do you pray for each other? Please don't just pray for health and happiness and work and family life. Pray the the vertical prayer. Pray that our love for God would increase, our our knowledge of the Scripture would increase, that we'd be devoted to Christ more in every area of our life. Thanks for praying for me. I know many do pray for me. Please don't just pray that for my health and my happiness. Pray for my own personal walk with Jesus. I would love God more day in, day out, because that would make me a, a better husband, a better father, and a better pastor to you guys if my love for God grows. It should challenge what we pray for our mission partners on the field. I think we spend so much time rightly praying for their skills as a doctor or for their skills as a teacher or for their family life and their schooling of their kids. and They're good things to pray for. But how often do you sit down and pray for their own spiritual walk with God? Dear God, I pray that Andrew and Stephanie would, would love Jesus more today. I pray they'd open the scriptures together. I pray that they would have an insight into God's character, that their hearts will be filled with how glorious and majestic their God is. So as they go to serve him, that they would love Jesus. That's a glorious thing to pray. So why do we do that? Why, are, why do we have uh, these four marks, thankfulness and love and generosity and prayerfulness? Why are we committed to mission? Is it so that people can say, hey, Church by the Bridge is such a, a mission-minded church? No. Why does Paul pray that prayer in verse 11? Look at those last few verse, words of the verse 11. To the glory and the praise of God. So that people don't just see us, but they see our glorious God. And they praise his name and they say, what a great God that they serve and what a great saviour that they're proclaiming. And that's my prayer, that this church, that you as an individual, will be a partner in the gospel. And this church will be mission-minded, full of thankfulness, love for each other, love for our partners, generosity beyond measure and a real prayerfulness so that God gets the glory. Let me pray.
I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect by yourself. Your own walk with Jesus and what it means to have him as Lord of your heart. Lord God, I pray that we, this church, would have an ever-increasing love for you. That it would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Lord, I pray that we would discern what is best, that we would be pure, we would be blameless until the day of Christ. That we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us Help us to be thankful, to be generous, to love each other, to be prayerful. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up people in this very building tonight who would go. Uh, leave uh, Kirribilli or even leave Sydney, leave Australia, uh, to work for you with that common goal, that common vision of making Christ known. Help us to be better partners in that gospel. I ask that for Jesus' sake.